he wants that toy, so he'll pounce on you, pounce, and as soon as he makes that bark, that's the alert that we're trying to get them to do. Okay. Boom, you reward him. What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. The views and the opinions expressed are mine and those of the guest. Today's guest is a brother by the name of Mike Smith. He's a former D1 wrestler turned jiu-jitsu player uh, turned firefighter, not necessarily in that order. And he is also one of our FEMA team uh, dog handlers. So we have a conversation today that's loaded with information. We talk about all those things I just mentioned and a whole lot more. Uh, I hope that you have some time and that you enjoy this episode. Check it out. So, Mike, first of all, thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. But before we go any further, I want to say congratulations. Thank you. You yeah. just got promoted to captain, a freaking amazing achievement. And um, uh, I'm really proud of you for Appreciate that. It, yeah. and, uh, and I'm happy about that. So let me ask you, I'm going to ask you a really tough question right off the go. Before you even introduce yourself or anything like that. How, how has becoming a captain changed your life? Uh, well, I, 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 that is a tough question. Uh, not a, not, I don't want to say a whole, whole lot because, uh, I've, I've been in an acting out of class for five years. So I, you know, I've been assuming that role, uh, being, you know, quote unquote, a captain for the last five years and trying to, you know, live that way, you know, I mean, it's not just lip service when you go into the interview and you tell them what you've been doing and all that stuff, you know, you actually have to be doing it. So, uh, for the, you know, the last, I've been on 15 years now, I've been trying to live that, that way of being, you know, the a leader and, and all those things. So my kids are certainly super excited. You know, my wife is really super excited. Uh, cause they, of all the people, you know, they sacrificed a whole, whole lot. And you, you know, going through those processes, the the family I think takes more of a toll than the individual themselves. You know, because we're going and doing interviews with guys and doing tactics, and you're studying all the time. And so, I think you know, having that stress off of them to know that I don't have to go through that process anymore, that the process is over. I think that's that's probably been the biggest change, I guess, is that the lack of stress from that and not not knowing if we were going to have to do the process again. Yeah, there's definitely a, a sense of closure, right? <laughs> That's when a you perfect. when you finally arrive, you're like, whoo! And and interestingly, you know, working out of class, I think I was out of class for six years before I got promoted, and you know, sitting on on two promotional lists, you know, waiting for that to happen. And it is uh, there's a lot of learning that takes place during that time period, which is I, I actually look back, I'm really grateful for that opportunity to to be in a position uh, and assume the role and take on those responsibilities. And anyways, I want to have, the, I want to dig into this. I, it was unfair of me to just launch a, a deep, hard question at you. No, yeah, I, I, but, I like it. <laughs> but, uh, but I do want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself and, um, and share a little bit about who you are. And, you know, you already said, Hey, 15 years on the job, but tell us a little bit more about Mike Smith. Uh, so, I grew up in Las Vegas, uh, moved here when we were like nine years old, got, you know, not a big family, me and two brothers, my mom and dad, uh, just very blue collar house, went to high school out in Gilbert. That's where I started my, uh, wrestling career and, and football and, and those sorts of things where I met my wife. We've been together now 20 years. You guys are high school sweethearts. Yep. Met Aww. junior year in high school and been together ever since, but it's kind of a family 
tradition. My grandparents met when they were in junior high, and my mom and dad <laughs> met when they were in sixth grade. So it's kind of a family tradition in a way, yeah. I guess. But uh, yeah, and then you know, went to college, wrestled at ASU for a little while, realized that you know through wrestling and the couple of years that I was wrestling still that I was pretty good, but there was way better dudes that, than I was. And I was never really going to crack that starting lineup uh, to be like a full-time starter. So that's when I started to transition and see, well, I need to start growing up and figuring out like what I'm going to do with my life. Cause wrestling is not going to pay the bills. It's not going to do this, that, and the other. So uh, I went and did a ride along with a buddy who I wrestled with in high school who works for Chandler fire. And it was during the summer, it was off season. And we went and did a ride along me and my, I have an identical twin brother who works for Chandler fire. We went and did a ride along. Was he on the job before you? Nope. Okay. Nope. Oh, so you guys both went? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, we awesome. both went together <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that was it. We were hooked. I, uh, we started taking fire science classes on top of our ASU classes. Uh, cause I was going to go and be a, a social studies teacher and coach, coach wrestling. That was my, that's the dream. That was what I was going to do. Yeah. I was going to be a teacher and a wrestling coach. Uh, but then as soon as I stepped foot into the firehouse and kind of got the, got a little bit of that, then that all got pushed aside and I put all my eggs into to testing and I uh, got hired when I was 22 and, and nice. Yeah. And that was, that was it. But did you finish your degree? No, I have, uh, I have one semester left. I left, uh, one semester away from finishing. I basically had to do my student teaching. That's oh. all I had to do. <laughs> so. Oh, well, maybe there's a way for you to go finish that off just for, without the student teaching. I don't know what you do, but <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, know. Because, yeah, nobody wants to go do that. Ugh. Although, now you can do it online, maybe. Yeah. No, I, my <laughs> wife keeps telling me to go and, and knock it out, you know, and get it done. I probably should. Because I got my associates with all the fire science and all yeah. that, those sorts of things. Well, and, and you mean, like, you know, like, you need to have a cool certificate to hang on, you know, a, a $90 <laughs> certificate to hang on the wall. Yeah, she's got she's got a couple of them. She's, you know, I got to keep track with her. She's <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, that is how I ended up getting my education was I was competing with my wife. Yeah. Cuz she's like, "I'm going to go get an education. I don't want I don't know about you, you big dummy. You better go do something." I'm like, "Oh, okay. I better, you know, I'll go to school too." Yeah. So, yeah, you know, thank heavens for our wives, right? They encourage oh, yeah. us to be better. Yeah, very very lucky. Yeah. My um, so like I said, we've been together 20 years. Uh, she's put up with way more than she ever had to. Uh, but we got two beautiful kids, 11 year old girl who's a competitive dancer and my nine year old son who's a jujitsu gray belt. Uh, nice. Yeah. He's really into jujitsu and football. And so, yeah, it's, it's cool to kind of steer him down that path and hopefully he stays with it. He seems to really enjoy it and love it. So no, that's fun. How long has he been training? He's been training since he was five. Nice. Yeah. I put him, I put him into wrestling. Cause I wrestled, uh, but it, it didn't really work out. He didn't, he didn't really like it too much. Um, and I, <clears throat> I tried to get him to understand like the kids that are in that wrestling room, that's all they do is that they, they just wrestle or I had him in that and baseball and basketball. And so he was kind of hit or miss, you know? Uh, and so he was, he was getting just waxed every practice. Mm -hmm. And so he didn't really like it. And that sports so hard that if you, if you don't love that sport, you, you will not be successful. Because you just won't, you don't want to put up with it. And so I pulled him out and then got him into jujitsu and he seemed to love that part of it. Yeah. For, well, let me ask you this for the uninitiated. What, what is it about wrestling that you would consider 
uh, you, you said it's so hard if you don't love it, you're out, right? Like, yeah. what is it about it that's so hard? Uh, I think more than the physical, I think the mental aspect of wrestling is so hard. You know, the physical aspect is is there. We run a lot, do a lot of push-ups, pull-ups, and you're you're basically, uh, for lack of better words, you're fighting to the death, you know, with another another human being, yeah. you know, similar to like jujitsu. Yeah. But there's the strain of the two-hour practices and the, you know, the constantly getting beat up all the time, especially when you're brand new. You know, I, I used to tell guys all the time when I was coaching that you, know, you can usually tell a kid who's going to be in wrestling because the first time they get popped in the nose, if they, they're going to cry. But if they come back, they usually have a pretty good chance of, of sticking with wrestling. Hmm. It's the kids that they cry and then they, they just don't want anything to do with it. Yeah. They're the ones who, who might not have it at that point yet, you know. Um, yeah, I think that, the, you know, there's certain there's certain timelines for every one of us, right? We all have a different a willingness to absorb certain impacts. And I think, uh, you know, literally and figuratively, and I think that the, you know, kids are, some of them are, in, are born with this innate desire to be on the mat, to do hard things. Like they, they can't help themselves. They're just all about it. Yeah. And there's other kids who are like, rather, you know, be over there sniffing daisies and then, and they have no desire. They're just like, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just not into that. And, uh, and they come to it later in life or whatever. I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I was that, I was that kid. I mean, I grew up with two brothers and we fought all the time. I have an identical twin. I mean, we literally, we fought every day Yeah. and we started <laughs> wrestling when we were in third grade and we hated it. We did. We tried it for like a week and they absolutely hated it. Stopped. And then when we moved here, then we started to kind of get back into it mainly because we were terrible at basketball. We couldn't make the basketball team. <laughs> so we decided to go out for the wrestling team. And as we kind of more matured mentally, as we got a little bit older and physically, it started to become a little bit better for us. Yeah. You know, and then you start having a little bit of success as with anything, you start to kind of build that desire to, to be better, you know, and my parents sent us off to the Iowa wrestling camp, <clears throat> uh, our summer between our freshman and sophomore year. And that was kind of the, that was the tipping point for both my brother and I. Uh, we got to see you know Dan Gable and Lincoln McElroy, these big names in Iowa wrestling, and we got to watch their practice and how their tempo that they had and their their aggressiveness and you know how how they I mean they would fight like physically fight all practice, you know getting to see getting to see that that intensity that they had, and then when we as soon as we brought that back to Gilbert, it was on, and then we were just yeah we were ready. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, it's under it's interesting the mindset that people have to learn at some point, right? And recognizing the difference between where you're at today, and then you see somebody who you admire, and you go, "Oh, that's what it takes." You see a sample of what it takes to be at that next level. Because I think we, you know, you have a coach that tells you it. Yeah, yeah, you got to work hard. You got to work hard, but you don't actually know what that really looks like. Yeah. Until you, so you see it, and you go to an Iowa camp like that where they're probably pretty legit workouts and you're getting put through the ringer and you're like, Oh, now I see the next level and what that looks like and what it takes to get there. Yeah. So that like Lincoln McElravey, he was getting ready to, he was either on the Olympic team or getting ready for the Olympic trials. And so when we were up on the, the top deck watching this hmm. and there's 30 guys on the wrestling team and they started with the 127 pounder and he went first threw him out there and it was just takedowns. And as soon as he would get takedown one way or the other, next guy would come in. It was almost like that bull drill in football yeah, yeah. where you didn't know where they were coming from, but someone was coming after you right now. <laughs> so you'd take a guy down. And then as soon as you got 
up and turned, that guy is right. The next guy is right in your face. He had to run the entire team down and the entire team back. So nice. from 127 or 125 all the way to heavyweight, and then the heavyweight all the way back down. And watching that, I mean, that was that was intense because you know he's he's basically fighting for survival at that point. You know, right. well, and learning how to how to how to go hard in exhaustion, mm-hmm. right? Like. Yeah, I've I've done a few trainings like that in jiu-jitsu where it's similar, kind of a king of the mat type situation, yep. and it's, you know, submit or be submitted, and, you know, you pop back up, and when there, when there's only so many people there, you're like, you're going constantly. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a fun way to train. And it's it's a mental, you know, it's that's that's the, the part about it that I think that really turns a lot of people off to it is it's just a mental beatdown, you know. Mm-hmm. Um which part getting submitted? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the getting submitted, you know, getting taken down, just constantly getting beaten up for, you know, lack of better words. I mean, you're not like beating the crap out of each other, but yeah. you know. Uh and that's hard for a man especially. I think, you know, we we have this uh, innate ability to be the best and the, you know, be the alpha and when you're getting your butt kicked a lot, it's <laughs> that sucks. Yeah. There's a one of the and then you hear people say this a lot and I'm I'm going to say it as well, uh, as well but there's a certain amount of humility that is derived from uh facing somebody on the mat and getting beat right or submitted or or put into a position where you don't have control anymore where that person is fully controlling you there's there's some real growth that takes place individually when you are put in that position, if you allow it to happen, right? I think that we have to sometimes subjugate ourselves to our ego and, or subjugate, sorry, let me re-say that. We have to subjugate our ego and and be better than that and recognize that there's learning to take place. And I think once you do that and you realize that somebody else, there's always someone bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, better looking, whatever. Right. And you set, you, you recognize that and you set your ego aside. Now you can actually grow Absolutely. and learn. And so I feel like that's kind of what you're talking about with, you know, as a kid, when you're, when you're wrestling, like you set your ego aside and you go to this camp and you realize, Whoa, there's so much for me to learn so much for me to grow. And then you're like, yeah, I'm in man. Um, so let me ask you this as a wrestler, and maybe you can ask this from a different perspective too, but just when you started down the path of becoming a firefighter, what was it about being a wrestler that you think helped shape and inform your, your actions and behaviors and your attitude as a firefighter? Uh, I think one of the biggest things that wrestling, I think taught me that kind of helped me through life in general is, is balance the physical balance, which is, you know, sure. Stand on one leg and scratch your nose at the same time is, is tough. Right. But the, uh, physically being able to balance your, your body, your mind, mentally being able to balance your thoughts, what you're, what you're striving for, um, that, you know, when, when you're in a wrestling season, everything's go, 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 go. Right. When you're in the off season, that's when guys want to kind of pull back, but that's even more of a time to go, 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 go. So that when you're in season, that really go, go, go doesn't wear you down. So you're finding that balance of what you're capable of doing because we all, I, you know, we all have this, we all have these abilities that we can strive for, but very, very few people actually reach, reach those because they, they don't know physically, you know, they don't physically know what they're capable of doing. You know, it's that 40% rule that David Goggins talks about Oh yeah, that 
when we're tired, like we've only reached 40% of our actual potential. And I think wrestling teaches you what, what that 40% feels like and that you're, you can go way higher than that. You know, just because you're puking in the trash can after a run, that doesn't mean the run's over. That just means you got lighter. Now we can run a little faster, you know? There you go. So, you're but shedding it, weight. Yeah, yeah, you're shedding weight. But also finding that balance of, okay, now I know my body's beat up. Like, I know that I have to take some kind of a break now, you know? Or the balance of the mental balance, you know? Uh, I need to, you know, I got, with wrestling, I got into meditation. We did a lot of visualization, hmm. those sorts of things where, you know, we would go up to practice and our coaches, they would shut the lights off and you just lay on the, on your back and they would have you visualize a match. And that was practice. And that was towards the end of the season when you're, you're getting tired, but it's that teaching you that balance that you, you can't just go, 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 go physically all the time. You know, you have to shut down sometimes physically and kind of power up that mental part too. So, and coming onto the fire department, you know, you, you work at busy stations, you can't just go, 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 go. And then your day's off, go, 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 go you're going to wear yourself out. I mean, you're going to be, you're yeah. going to have a lot, a lot of issues, whether yeah. it's physical issues, mental issues. Well, and, and I think sometimes those physical issues, you know, lend themselves toward mental issues, right? Absolutely. You know, it, it all wears, and you talk about like relationships and being able to balance uh, life with your spouse and, and your, or a significant other or whatever, just any relationship you're in, even just, you know, family, any family stuff gets tried by that. But if you're trying to, you're constantly trying to hustle. You know, you like you talk about the captain's process, right? You, anytime you're in a promotional process, plus the physical component, you have to find ways to uh, compromise and balance those things out so that you're, you know, healthy. Yeah. Right? And yeah, just not physically. You know, I think we we really put an emphasis on physical health, mm -hmm. which is super important, especially in our in our line of work. But I think mental health of all things. I mean, I to me that almost trumps the physical health because if mentally you're not capable or you're not there you're not going to have the the discipline and motivation to go and be physically healthy yeah you know but at the same time like for me the physical health is what keeps my brain you know keeps the hamster on the wheel you know and not sitting in the corner just milling around right so i that's the balance is you have to you have to know you know when to turn this the physical up and when to turn the mental up and yeah you know i'm going to go back on here just a smidgen though you talked about the for the Goggins thing, right? At 40%. Like when you think you're done, there's still 40% left in the tank. And I think that's a really valuable thing to understand. And it sometimes I think it, well, no, I think always it takes going to that dark place to learn that because we can talk about it. We can draw a graph on the board here and, and really, you know, discuss the, the value of going hard and, and discuss it. But as individuals, we need to push ourselves. And I think that's one of the things you take away from that. You know, I look back to some of the things, some of the events I've done, you know, in my athletic history. And it was those, those events where I was at the bottom of my physical capacity, what I thought was the end of the line for me physically. And I kept moving mm -hmm. and I kept going and not very fast, but, <laughs> but I was moving. Right. And so I look at that and go, okay, there's a lesson there. And that lesson, and I overlay that lesson into everything in life. It's not just physical endeavors, right? You know, I, I started off my career saying, Hey, I have been to the end of my physical capacity. So I know that if I get into a really bad situation where I got to drag a guy out, I will not quit. 
I know it, mm-hmm. right? But I also think about that in terms of pursuing other goals, right? And recognize, and I, I, the mental toughness that comes with that is realizing that, hey, physically, I'm not going to quit. And, and that flips the mental switch on. You go, no, I know that in my brain, I have another gear. Absolutely. I know it's present. And so when it comes to failure in a testing process and having to come back to the table and, and re-engaging and, and, and coming up with new strategies for yourself, like it's like a dog on a bone, man. It's going to keep coming after it and, until I reach a certain level of, of acceptance with myself or success or whatever that looks like, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think this, the struggle is what people should strive for more than the success, you know, because you don't really learn from the success. It's fun and it feels good. Right. But I pity those people who, who are like naturally gifted at doing running or X, Y, Z, right. Because they'll never struggle. Like someone who may be the guy that's in third place, that guy's going to struggle. And eventually that guy will beat the first guy for sure. Always. I mean, that, that struggle is just, I think it's so imperative that people understand that and that they, they try to live for that in a way, you know, cause it does, it makes you a better human being, yeah. you know? I mean, think of all the struggles you've had in your life with it's sports or family or the fire department. I've learned way more from those than the times that I was successful, you know? And that's, I, I just, I, I hope people can get to that where they, they're not afraid of that struggle. They're not afraid of that, you know, pain in, in, in a way um, that they, seek out those, those struggles. You know, I think that's, I think that's so big for, for people to, to do. Yeah. You know, I, I, I telling my kids for the last 21 years of their lives, <laughs> I've been telling them, Hey, do hard things. Mm-hmm. Right. Because in those hard things, you, the adversity leads itself to growth, right? You take, you know, and this is such a silly example, but you, you know, we go into the gym, we work out and the muscle, we, the next day we're sore, right? Because we, you know, at a microscopic level, we broke down the tissue and now we're allowing it to rebuild. That's adversity in the muscle tissue, right? Absolutely. And it's that stress and strain on the system causes it to grow stronger. And that same thing happens uh, when you are training hard uh, in the jujitsu gym or in the wrestling gym, right? You are pushing yourself mentally and you are growing through adversity and through, through, through trial and stress. And honestly, if you have the right perspective, everything in life is that same way, right? You got bills to pay. You got, you have relationship challenges. Hey, these are opportunities for growth. And I think it's a, there's a mindset there. People call it, I think they call it a growth mindset. This idea that Everything, every trial, every stress, every struggle is an opportunity for growth. Mm-hmm. And if you look at it that way with this optimistic perspective, it's a, it's actually awesome, right? Yeah. Like, oh, this, this bad thing's going to happen. Hey, I'm going to have to go through coronavirus. Good. What's the upside, right? There's going to be an upside here. I get to focus on my family and be at home and do some projects at home or what? Like, there's an upside to this. Absolutely. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of another good example, but the, uh, you know, from coronavirus, I don't have any more good examples, but you know, like, you know, you get into a testing process and you, <clears throat> you suffer some adversity, you know, an example that I like to look at was my, my first captain's test. I was unsuccessful, right? I made it onto the list and then I, I sat on the list, uh, not, and worked out of class and was unpromoted, but it gave me another opportunity. Now I'm working out of class. Now I'm growing and learning and I'm actually training and practicing and, and out doing the job. 
and continuing to grow. So yeah, was I disappointed that I was unsuccessful the first time? Hell yeah. I was very disappointed. And you should be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I was super disappointed. But then what did I do? I turn around and say, okay, what can I do here? What am I going to learn? How am I going to grow from this? I went back and talked to people who I consider mentors and asked more questions and, and presented more thoughts and ideas and said, Hey, I'm going to bounce some stuff off you. Um, I went and took more classes and, and participated in other programs, et cetera, and took it as an opportunity for growth. Right. So in adversity or in, in defeat, there's an opportunity. And I know it seems kind of Pollyannish and, and, and overly optimistic, but, but what else are you going to do? Yeah. What, what are you just going to put your tail between your legs and, and quit and be done? Yeah. That seems, that's like just, that's just a crazy. Yeah. I mean, you could, <laughs> you could, you could. And if that's, and if that's, you know what, Hey man, if that's where, if that's, if you are okay with whatever it is you got going on in life and that's where you want to be, then okay. But man, if you're, if you have a vision for yourself, for your life, for your family, for your personal success, whatever, then re-engage, right? Find another way. Mm-hmm. Change your angle of approach. And that's that struggle. You, you, I mean, when you're taking more classes and you're, you know, those are the struggles that you're having to go through, the extra struggles, you know, may not be the physical making you tired, you know, breathing hard struggle, but it's a struggle on your, your family. It's a struggle on your relationships. Yeah. You know, at the station, you know, when you're studying for the captain's test, it's like a ghost town for the guys who are studying. They're just gone, you know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a tough part. You yep. know, I mean, especially because we're, we like to interact and we like to come and hang out with, with the folks at the station. And when you can't do that, it's part of the struggle that you go through, but yeah. it definitely makes you better. And whether you are successful or not, whether I wasn't going to get promoted or not, this still made me a better fireman, you know, taking that test for sure will make you a better fireman. Yeah. You know, which if, like you said, there's nothing else you can get out of it. <laughs> that's the optimistic part. Yeah, you know. Yeah, at least you're better at your job, right? And I would submit to you that that's uh, at the end of the day. That's why we're all here is to be successful as firefighters and to be uh, more knowledgeable, more skillful, more capable. And so we all have to be taking uh, steps to gain that knowledge and to be more capable. Absolutely. Uh, no matter what, no matter what, you know, whatever uh, place in your career you are at or whatever position or function you fulfill in the organization, you have to be taking steps to be more capable and more successful in that position. Uh, I mean, that's, to me, that's the job. The minute you think you've got it licked, like, yeah, I've got every, I've got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. hundred percent. It's going to bite you Time in the ass. Time to reevaluate your. Yeah. It's going to bite you in the ass. For right? like, sure. Yeah. That's, we have an obligation, right? To, to be physically, mentally, you know, all those things, total wellness, all, all that stuff. We have an obligation to, yourself selfishly but you have an obligation to the guy the people on your crew too you have an obligation to the people who are calling 911 you have, you know we have these obligations that you shouldn't be out of shape you know when we go on a fire at someone's house you shouldn't be sucking down a bottle in five minutes because you're so out of shape you know that's unacceptable you know when i mean i we were talking about books before the the podcast and i read the um dick winter's book about the uh, easy company. They, mm. they made the band of brothers movie out of it. Yeah. Um, he talks about in, in there, there's the, he's got the 10 rules for leaders in the very back. And one of the big ones is physical fitness because physical fitness will play right into your mental capacity. You know, if, if, as soon as you get tired, that's when your mind starts going down, you know? And so as a firefighter or captain or whatever, when you start getting tired, you can start making some pretty uh, bad decisions. 
you know, so you got to keep your physical fitness way up. I mean, that's what people expect of us, you know? Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. The, uh, when you step off the truck, right, they expect a, you know, a surgeon, <laughs> an astrophysicist, you know, a master carpenter and a super athlete, right? Like you've got to be able to fulfill these responsibilities. And I know we're none of those things, but at the same time, we have a responsibility to maintain a, a high level of preparedness in an all hazards environment, mm -hmm. right? So you've got to be prepared to be uh, capable and useful in a broad range of skill sets. And the base level of that is core fitness, right? That core, that central tenant is physical preparedness. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I cannot disagree with you on that at all. And that was when all this coronavirus stuff started. That was kind of my, the one, you know, hope that I thought would come out of this is people would get physically fit, hmm. you know, because it's not, I mean, most people are at home right now. So it's, it's not a, it's not a time thing. It's a. Right might be a lack of discipline thing mm. if, if you're at home and you have all this time and you still can't work out you yeah. know and get in shape mm -hmm. i mean you don't need you don't need a whole lot i mean you know you can do a lot of body weight stuff and you know i'm super passionate about fitness obviously you know i that's one of my go-to's for for pretty much everything in life uh but yeah so you know there's a million things you can do with just your body weight you know and you can get crazy in shape try doing 300 burpees you know? <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> no weights needed. Well, yeah, no. You know what? It's funny you say that because you do not need a gym, mm -hmm. right? You do not need a gym to get physically fit. A bunch of years ago, I was uh, I was reevaluating my physical health and wellness. And I was like, you know, when was I? I think I was turning 30. I was like, when was I in the best shape of my life? And I was like, oh, when I was 19, of course. But I was, I was in the Marine Corps. And well, what did we do? I didn't lift a single weight. Right. We did calisthenics and we ran and, and pull-ups. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, I was like, okay, that's the new model. Right. So for a, a period of time, I just did calisthenics and, and I was running a lot as it was. And it was great. I got in great shape. And then I added in, you know, started adding in, you know, plyometric type work and, and weightlifting and, and, um, uh, on and on and on. And, you know, started dabbling with all different types of physical, uh, processes and physical physical uh, exercise and that to me you know we are all an experiment of one and so you have to constantly be dabbling in different things trying to figure out what is the uh what is the the magic elixir for your body absolutely and but i don't know i'm i, I feel like i have an idea of what kind of gets in people's ways what do you think gets in people's way of doing that uh, i think it's the people are they're using, they're trying to use the motivation to go work out. Like they're following, you know, like they're, you know, watching Jocko Willink, who I love Jocko Willink. I think he's awesome. But, you know, you watch his Monday thing and he's super in your face and, you know, his, his voice and the way he presents it and everything like that makes you want to go work out. Yeah. Well, the, the motivation's great. We all need it at some point, but I think people lack the discipline to do it because you have to have the discipline before the motivation does anything. Because you, know, you could you could have Jocko Willink standing in front of you all the time and going, "Hey, you got to do this, this, and this." But if you don't have the discipline to actually do it, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Yeah, you know, I think yeah. that's what we lack is well, the discipline. It, and when is the discipline needed? Right when it's when it's zero dark thirty, 
and you have got a window of time to train before you have to be at work or, and, and you have this narrow window, but boy, it is so comfortable and warm in bed. And I'm, I'm, I could just, if I just roll over, I can easily go back to sleep. Mm-hmm. I can vision it. I have this vision of it right now. I can feel it. And, and, and the discipline, what drives that discipline to me, it's purpose. And if you can identify your purpose, because you're right, motivation is fleeting. Yeah. I think whenever I think of this, I think of the, uh, the Rocky Balboa quote when he's like, life ain't all sunshine and rainbows or whatever <laughs> he says, right? And and I think, yeah, yeah. Could you watch that video? It's on every like motivational oh, video yeah. on YouTube. It has that quote. And I'm like, oh, yeah, sunshine and rainbows. Like, you know, it, life is hard, right? And you, if we all agree, that's true. But the minute the video's off, and I turn back and I'm like, oh, I've got work to do and I've got this to do. And I suddenly the, the, the discipline required to the motivation is gone. It's fleeting. And now I'm left with just me in my head and what, what's next. Well, so if you can clearly identify your purpose and you say, man, I have a, I have a vision for where I need to be and what that needs to look like. Uh, and it's clear and it is, uh, fully present in my life that creates motivation that is you know you are internally inspired to get up and move forward and i think that that takes a deliberate engagement right you have to say hey this is what i want in my life and and anything else is unacceptable to me i i 100 percent agree with you and that goes back to that struggle right that you you have to struggle to be successful you know uh right now my workout so i usually try to it, it all depends. So sometimes I work out in the morning when I get comfortable with my morning workouts, like it's starting to feel like, okay, I get up and work out and everything seems to be going good. Then I'm going to work out in the afternoon. Now I'm going to start working out in the afternoon because in the afternoon, now I'm starting to get tired and I don't want to work out in the afternoon. <laughs> so I'm going to start working out then as soon as that starts to become comfortable, I'm going to go right back and I'm going to start working out in the mornings again. Cause now the mornings I have a new routine where, you know, I get up, I get my coffee, I do my stuff. The workout's not a part of that, but it's going to be as soon as the afternoons become comfortable, that morning is going to be the uncomfortableness, you know? So challenging yourself like that, or, you know, it's, and it's not, it's not that it's hard. It's just uncomfortable. Yeah. You know? It, yeah. You know, there are things that get in the way that are so sometimes so simple and dumb, right? Like packing a bag. Like, hey, you go work in an office. Like, oh, I'll give you a perfect example where I work. I have a gymnasium. I have showers and I have lockers within a 30-second walk of where I work, right? I have zero excuses. But yet, there will be days when I don't get a workout in. And I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> like, I could, and, and it really, it boils down to me not setting aside time. Me not the hard thing is to say I will not uh, work from noon to one, right? That time is set apart for me to go to the gym. Mm-hmm. So what I you know, so what I did was I mechanically kind of uh, put placeholders. So I go into my calendar and put a placeholder in there that says, "Hey, from twelve to one, you are in the gym." And it sounds dumb that you'd have to put that on your schedule, but in order to not get overwhelmed with other stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to like take measures right, and block it out. And then I say to myself, Hey, it doesn't matter if I, no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to go change into my PT clothes and I'm going to head in there and I'm going to do something. 
right? And if that that could turn into like if I'm just physically not in the mood, it could turn into a 20 minute walk on the treadmill, right? But that is something, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think it's important that we uh, you have to you can't let life just control you. You have to put in controls to get where you want to go. And it's that whole deliberateness, right? Like what is the objective? Write it down on the board or on a piece of paper in a book or in your phone or whatever. Note down the objective and then write down some steps it's going to take to get you there. And I think that, I mean, this is so dumb because it's, it's something that you can use with any objective. When you start working on a project, you say, all right, how are we going to get to the finish of this project? Right? We write down the end goal, the end state of the project. And then we write down all the steps that it takes to get there. And the same thing, if you're like, Hey, I want to be a physical Adonis. Okay. Well, that's not just going to magically happen if you wish it. Right? So what are the steps it's going to take yearly, monthly, daily to get you there? Yeah. And I think making that kind of that routine and keeping your world small to yeah. start is a big thing. And that's when, when I talk to guys at the station about that, who, you know, maybe aren't working out as much as they want and, you know, you don't have to go in there and do an hour every day. You know, maybe when you become more advanced and you're doing it all the time, that's more feasible. But right now to get back into working out, to start that routine, keep your world small. Say, like you said, at nine o'clock every morning, I'm going to go into the gym. I'm going to spend 30 minutes walking on the treadmill, fill in the blank, whatever you want to do, but do that every day, you know, and build that routine into your, into your life. Cause once you get that routine going, then you'll start doing that 30 minutes and then you'll start noticing some changes, body changes, you know, physical, mental changes. And that's when people start really catching on, you know, and then it, it really starts taking off, but it takes time. It takes a couple of weeks, sometimes months before you'll start noticing those changes. And I think, you know, some people who probably have never really worked out before, they start getting sore and then they're like, ah, I'm going to take tomorrow off. I'm kind of, kind of sore. My legs are sore. And so they take that day off. Well, that just sets you back now. That routine is gone. You know, you need to get, stay on that routine. Yeah, you're sore. I live sore every day of my life. You know, it's, it's part of the, it's part of the job. You know, it's part of what I do. Uh, And as you age, it just gets a little worse. That's, that's just how it happens, you know, but you just have to stick with that. And, you know, like I said, keep that world real small. And then eventually once you get that routine and you get into it, you start noticing those changes, it's going to become, that routine is now going to become your lifestyle, you know? So, and then I, you know, I tell the other thing is you change, don't change everything at once. You know, don't go in and you're going to change your diet and your workouts and this and that. You start with one thing. You're going to change your diet. Okay. Just focus on your diet, Yeah. you know? And then once you get that ironed out and figured out, then you can start changing your workouts or, you know, your whatever else. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think sometimes you just have to move. Yeah. Right. Just go out and go for a walk. Yeah. Like do little things, man. Just get going and and stop stop worrying about the how much uncomfortable how uncomfortable it is. Stop worrying about time. Like just set aside a small amount of time and go out and move and and do it repeatedly. There's a hey, it's funny, I I pulled up my phone because I, I I shared a quote the other day that I stumbled across. And the quote is be impatient for action and patient for outcomes, right? So act, right? Mm-hmm. Don't stop, you know, get in your own way and go out and do something and then be patient because it takes time, right? You got fat, right? <laughs> if that didn't happen overnight, 
it took some time, right? Yeah. It, it was an injury, or it was a, or or it was a, or it was a captain's test, right? <laughs> where you were studying and you sat on your butt for you know six months as you were preparing. Well, now it's time to flip the switch and get you know you've you've achieved whatever you try to achieve, or you recognize that you were you know you're a fat lard lard butt, and now it's time to get moving. Okay, well, act, right? Get out and move, and then be patient. You know, let it let the body do what the body's capable of doing, and, and continue to move forward. Um, so, hold on, I'm going to switch gears on here because we talked. We're talking a lot about discipline, and uh, and and it, that part is really really important to me. And you forgot to mention that you are a dog handler, yeah, for our FEMA team. And so, so to me, uh, we talk about discipline, man. I think about when you talk about your dog. Um, uh, as that relates to discipline, <laughs> <laughs> big time, because <laughs> dogs hmm, have a mind of their own. They, but so, so tell me a little bit about what it's like to be a a dog handler. So I, I'm a fairly new one. I've I've been doing it now about uh, three years or so. Um, and within our system, we have so through the Phoenix Fire Department, we have the FEMA team. Uh, we have the search and rescue dogs. That's a part of that. Um, we have. Right now, currently, we have nine dogs. Eight are live finds, so they go and find live human beings. And then we have one HR dog that's human remains. My dog, Talon, he's, uh, he'll be three in September. Uh, he's a yellow lab, and he's a monster. He's about 85 pounds. He came, from, came to us from Pennsylvania. That's where we got. We started getting our dogs from this, uh, this place back in, at the University of Pennsylvania. It's called Penn Vet. Uh, and they basically uh, breed, study, uh, train working dogs of all different disciplines from, you know, bite dogs to bomb dogs to search and rescue. They even have dogs that they're working with right now that they're working on sniffing out cancer. So they, and we actually got to see it in action, which was really cool. So they had this, it was about a 10 foot uh, wide table and it was stainless steel and had a bunch of these little beakers that went around the, the table in like a circle. And they would take one of the beakers and they would put a single cancer cell in it and they would, put it in there and they'd spin the table around. It was like a lazy Susan type table, yeah. you know, and then they'd let the dog in and the dog would have to go around and sniff and alert on the, the beaker that had the cancer cell and they would trick it. So they would take that cancer cell out and just put all normal cells. And if the dog didn't smell anything, it's got to go sit by the door as it's saying, there's nothing here. So we got to watch it do one of its rounds. And so they did 10 rounds. Uh, and that dog was a hundred percent, every time he that she alerted wow so let me take you back a little bit on the training how, how do they how do they get a dog from i mean this might be a bigger question than i'm than you're prepared to answer but how do you get a dog from you know puppy mm-hmm. <laughs> the dog that i have at home right <laughs> from from a you know a spastic puppy to uh that level of capacity that work capacity so it it starts with the uh the parents you know i mean you kind of translate it to, to humans, right? Uh, athletic, big parents are probably going to breed athletic, big kids mm-hmm. who are probably going to be very similar. Uh, kind of the same thing. So my, my dog, Talon, his dad was a field trial world champion. So he does the, it's like the hunting dogs. Mm-hmm. And then his mom was a scent dog. She, she did, I think she was a single scent, if I remember correctly. Uh, so he's kind of got that in his bloodline already. Okay. To, to do that sort of thing. And then it's, it's, it's almost like having kids. You basically, you start very small, you know, so with them, you know, 
they would rattle keys and just get their agility going. So they'd rattle keys and have them walk up a, a plank that's, you know, six inches off the ground to get them kind of used to walking on unstable surfaces and walking up things and down things. Uh, Try to get them away, get, train them away from like skittishness of, yep. in those weird places. Okay. Yep. And then they would start with where they would, they call it like a pop-up and, you know, they would say Talon's, I don't know, 12 weeks old and there'd be a person there with a toy and they'd, yell his name and wave his toy at him. And then they'd go and duck right behind a, a little wall. And so Talon would come over. And as soon as he would get to him, they would reward him. And you do that about a million times, that one thing. And then you graduate to, you know, then you go and you kind of hide. And now when you, you wave at him and you go and hide, now you wait until he barks. So you, you, they'll sit there and they'll kind of bounce on you. You know, puppies, they kind of pounce on you wanting to play. He wants that toy, so he'll pounce on you, pounce, and as soon as he makes that bark, that's the alert that we're trying to get them to do. Oh, okay. Boom, you reward them. You do that about a million times, and they start realizing, so if I find you, and then I bark when I do it, then I get my reward. Okay. okay. So then they start figuring that piece out. Well, then, now you go and hide, and now they have to start using their nose to, to find you. And so, our live find dogs are a little different. They're not the typical, you know, like the bloodhounds, or you'd give them a shirt, and then they'd go and find that scent our dogs are they're going after basically like your breath um oh, wow. so if you know if we're on a rubble pile like our rubble pile down at special ops uh and let's say you know the squad's out there doing training and there's a trt class or whatever our dogs will run around and they'll create an inventory of smells of human smells of all the people that are standing maybe sitting down on the ground just kind of hanging out they're creating that inventory of saying, okay, you're not it, you're not it, you're not it. And then they smell a, a human scent they can't find. Then they know through training, that's the one that I got to find. And so oh, wow. it's kind of a process of elimination, but they do it so fast. Yeah. You know, they can, their noses are, are incredible. The way it was equated to us at Penn Vet was if, if I can see one mile with the naked eye, a dog can see 3,000 miles with the naked eye. That's the difference of the how depth good of their, their nose capacity. Their nose. It's it's unbelievable. Dang, that is really impressive. Yeah. So we you know we we use that play drive for the dogs. Yeah. So each dog has their own special toy that they really like. It, okay, hold on. Yeah. So is that is that a toy that is they're uh, indoctrinated to from like when they're little and it becomes the same toy or is it like a style of toy or like a S sometimes because what if you lose it? Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> sometimes it, it's something they liked when they were a puppy. Uh, Talent. He actually preferred uh like tennis balls but he had such a hard time with the uh with the oral stimulation of squeezing that tennis ball with his mouth <laughs> that he would never give it back to you he just, <laughs> he just liked chewing on it you know so we had to switch him to this bumper it's like a wrapped canvas they stuff it with like t-shirts oh okay yeah, that sort those, of deal yeah. and so i can get that and we've trained enough now that he knows to give me the toy back because then if you don't, then we're not going to play anymore, you know? Right. So as a puppy, it was a little different. But, um, yeah, they we find that toy that they they really love. And so you experiment with some different toys. You kind of figure out what they're. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them like ducks. Some of them like the bumpers. Some of them like their, they call it a chuck it. It's a ball with like a piece of webbing on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and then some of them like to play fetch. Some of them like to play tug of war with you. So you just kind of have to figure out what your dog, what really gets them going. And then as soon as you do, it's all bets are off. And then now we can really train and get that dog dialed in to do almost anything. I mean, we got our dogs will climb ladders. They'll climb up ladders, climb down ladders, 
we can walk them on a teeter-totter and, you know, they run around the rubble. They'll go in tunnels. They'll go in holes. They'll, you know, they'll do anything you ask of them as long as you give them that toy, you yeah. know, as, as the reward. So it, it really is important. Like, I think that there's a really interesting principle there, which is the, and I'm, of course, <laughs> I'm taking this out. You said so you talked about training children. And I think it's interesting because I think any human being would respond to this, but you talked about positive reinforcement. Yep. And he didn't say those words, but I'm saying those words. The, you know, every time the dog does the behavior that you want to see, it's a positive reward. So is there ever, ever any negative like scolding or like. No. So, so the way we look at it is we have the positive, right? I'm going to give you something for doing good. The negative is I'm just not going to give you anything for doing bad. Instead of, instead of scolding or, you know, spanking or the shot callers or anything like that. Yeah, the dogs, they respond really well to that, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to give you your toy. So like we'll train the, the dogs and the newer dogs will do it sometimes in training. They'll alert on, you know, we have, we have distractions that are in the pile that are purposely put there, clothes, food, those sorts of things. Because if you think about it, you go to a disaster situation, you know, a tornado runs through a neighborhood. There's going to be clothes and stuff everywhere. All kinds of smells. Yeah. yeah so imagine. the dog can't alert on those clothes, right? So if the dog alerts, he's telling you, okay, I'm, I found something. Give me my toy. No. And you just hold it. You go find. And then they start realizing, okay, he's not, he's not going to buy into what I'm telling. <laughs> I'm just going to go and do what I know I, I'm supposed to do. Because oh. they, they'll try to, they try to manipulate you a little bit. They're yeah. not. They're, they're really, they're really smart animals. You know, they'll try to get one over on you from time to time. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, cause they're like, mm, I got, I got to get this toy. Yeah. It, it so it, it reminds me of a, of a book that my wife shared with me years and years ago, um, called how I shamooed my husband. And <laughs> this journalist went and was in, uh, doing investigative reporting or trying to understand how they train, uh, killer whales. And, and to sum it up, basically, she figured out that, oh, it's all positive reinforcement, right? You're not going <laughs> to discipline a whale. You're not going to smack him on the nose. He'll eat you, right? Yeah. And so the so she, she came home, and she's like, hmm, I wonder if this will work on my husband. And so she asked her husband to do something, and when he did it, she gave him positive reinforcement, right? And so there's just this kind of this interaction with, these, uh, with her husband is what the story is about. But I think it's interesting because there's this principle there, a behavior management principle, right? And I think it's really fascinating that you know people respond really well to positive reinforcement. We start talking about you know the leadership principles that we can learn from this. You go, you know, if you are negatively reinforcing people, that only works for so long, mm -hmm. especially with grown people, man. Absolutely. You know, they are not going to buy into that. And pretty soon they're going to be like, hey, man, I'm out. I'm not interested in your negativeness. Um, so I'll go find somewhere else to work, something else to do, whatever. But if you want people or critters <laughs> to do what you need them to do, you got to reinforce the behavior that you want to see. Absolutely. And so that's, I think it's fascinating because that's really uh, a, a, a core tenant of training these dogs. Absolutely. And that's, and I mean, that's been taught to us. I mean, I was not a dog handler by any stretch of the imagination before I got started. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's not even one of the requirements to come out for the dog team. You know, they will are the handlers that we have, the senior handlers that we have are so good at teaching the newer folks how to be handlers. And then we went back to pen vets. So I, I, they, 
sent me back to Penn Vet to learn from their handlers as well on how to train working dogs properly. Because there's there are some differences. I mean, between my working dog and we have two other regular house pet dogs at home, you know, so there, there is a, there is a difference that I have to keep with those dogs, mm. you know, cause of the one way I raised my house pet dogs was not the way that, you know, I'm raising Talon and, you know, there's certain things like when Talon wants to go outside and I open the door, he can't just bolt out the door. Now I didn't, I taught my other dogs, you can't bolt out the door, but I taught Talon when I say yes, then you can go outside. That's his release word. Mm. You know, where my other dogs, I open the door and they just kind of look at me. And I'm like, all right, let's go. Come on. You know, so. Yeah. So you have to be much more structured with mm-hmm. him. How does that, how does that work with the family? So my family, actually, I had to teach them how to train Talon too. Cause especially right now, Talon is not coming to work with me right now. I, if it wasn't COVID going on, he would be with me at work every, every shift. Um, so when he's at home, my son and my daughter, especially they, they love training him. So we have like, uh, we have a little prop set up at, at the house and they'll go outside and, and train him, uh, on directionals where to, how to send them with hand signals. Oh, that's cool. Um, every once in a while the kids want to play hide and seek. So they'll go and hide in the house and I'll release talent in the house to go find them. Uh, stuff like that, you know, but they have to, they have to train him as well because the thing with a dog, especially a male dog is they want to be the alpha, you know? <clears throat> so I had to show talent that I'm the alpha. You're going to listen to, to me. My family had to do the same thing. Because if not, then he would, when I'm gone, he would think he has a run of the house now. And he can do whatever he wants. Right. You know, so my wife and kids, they had to, they had to show, in a, for lack of better words, their dominance, you know, to say that, no, you are not the alpha. Right. Maybe you're the alpha of the two dogs that are here, but not of the humans. Right. You know, and that, and that plays a big role. I mean, that's, you see people when they're walking their dogs and their dogs dragging and they're dragging them halfway down the road. That's a, that's an alpha type thing, you know, and you can tell. And one of the things I learned from our dog trainers is watching the dog's tail. You know, if you see a dog's tail and it's perked all the way up, that's, that's kind of that uh, alpha stance. Like they're, they're kind of posturing on you Mm. in a way, you know, when it's neutral and it's, they're just kind of here and it's wagging. That's them. Like everything's cool. We're the world's right. You know, I'm not the alpha. You might be, we're all good when it's down. Obviously they're, they're scared or worried or nervous or something. Something's up, you know, something's wrong. Yeah. So you can tell a lot. I mean, their tail will, will kind of give you clues too, as to what they're, what they're doing. So it, it is 100% a full-time job. Absolutely. It's, it's absolutely the most work I've done on the fire department to date. Cause you know, like with TRT or hazmat or, or those sorts of things, you, you have a two year commitment, right? That you, you have to be with the, you have to stay with the program for that long. Well, with the dog team, when you get a dog, you have a 10 year commitment because my dog has a 10 year working life. So I can't just, you know, decide one day that, ah, oh, this is too much work. I'm going to, I'm going to go, you know, I, I love that dog. Yeah. You know, I'm, we're a team. I, I'm his person. He's, he's my partner. Like we, we do a lot of stuff together. I couldn't just give him away to somebody and let someone else take him. That's, it's like giving your kid away. Yeah. You know? So how does that work with the, um, deployments and things like that. I know the team has a handful of dogs. So mm-hmm. as, as handlers, are you guys cross-trained to work with different dogs? Uh, they used to, uh, but there were some, some problems that kind of arose from that. Uh, so now we just, 
your dog is your dog. You're going to deploy with, with your dog. Okay. And it seems to work out really well, you know. It, it seems to make sense from a training perspective. Right? Like I would imagine that a dog would get accustomed to an individual. And so, you know, hey, you're my human and, you know, you're my alpha. Yeah. And I, who I, all these other people are. <laughs> yeah. And I have certain uh, ver- verbal cues and mannerisms that I'll use with Talon that I, it would take me, you know, too long to teach somebody else that, especially because, you know, you get on an deployment, they call you and you got to be ready to go in a couple hours and we're right. leaving. I don't have enough time to teach you, hey, this talents, when I, when I do this, when I make this noise or I, I whistle like this, this is what that means. You know, it's, it's almost impossible to do that. So. Yeah. And like you said, it would have to be something that we would have to train on all the time. But then that takes away training from me and him together. Yeah, you know, to, so it makes sense if if you're able to focus on one animal, then you guys can build the best team possible. Versus diluting your training by focusing on different animals and, and right. learning different behaviors or, or different. <laughs> you have to learn different behaviors as well, right? Depending on how the how the team is built. Absolutely. You know how they had trained themselves together. So yeah, it's a it's a unique part of our job, and it's a unique part of the the fire department. You know, and I'm super happy that I got involved in it because it's it's just different. You know, I like that. Finding something different, it's, it's certainly challenging because we yeah. train. We're down at the pile every week, uh, but we train every day. You know, when we go home, he's either doing stands or obedience or he's doing something. Yeah. You know? So what is there a a certain prescription for that? Like, like hey, as a, as a trainer, like or sorry, you know, as a handler, are you going to have to put in like certain number of hours a day or does it depend on the animal and, and their characteristics and yeah, so, you know, with the, uh, especially with the dogs, uh, and I, I learned this the, the hard way from, from our trainers, is you can't, you know, train, like, if, if me and you were going to start doing a training for jujitsu, and go, okay, we're going to go to a two-hour practice. You can't have a dog work for two hours. It, you know, the way they cool themselves and, you know, their body mechanics and physiology and all those things are way different. So, like with Talon, because our dogs are so, such high drive, I'll play with them for between five and 15 minutes, play like, you know, train, train and play and get them, get them excited. And then I'll put them away. I'll put them in his kennel, put them, you know, in, in the bedroom, wherever, and let them calm down. Hmm. He's thinking, well, why'd we stop? I, I can still go. Right. I'm feeding that, feeding that monster inside of him. That's like, Let's, let's go, let's go, let's Keeping go. Keeping the drive up. Yeah, and I change the time. So sometimes I'll pull him out and I'll have his favorite toy and we'll just, I'll play tug for a minute, two minutes, and then I'll put him away. And he's like, what, <laughs> what, what happened? Why do we stop? And then, you know, go get him 30 minutes later and pull him out. And he's blowing out of his kennel like, all right, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, and then I can start doing some obedience stuff because now he's, now he's super geeked up, ready to go. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's heal. Let's do off lead healing. Let's, you know, do these things, these discipline things. And he's, he's on it. Cause he knows, well, he just cut me short the last time for whatever reason. So I'm going to be as good as I can now to make sure that I, I get my reward, you know? Right. So it's, it's kind of playing those playing to their, their mental part and their physical and their, their, uh, I don't know, their, their wolf DNA gene, you know, playing with those a little bit. And so it's, there's a lot that goes into it you know but yeah that's amazing man what a what a neat uh neat opportunity and it's i i i I love it's one of the things i love about 
uh, our job, mm-hmm. right, is these variety of opportunities. You mentioned a couple. You talked about TRT and Hazmat. And, you know, there's these different things that you have available to you throughout the course of your career if you're willing to you know, put yourself forward and go and do these things. If you're willing to commit to yeah. it, to a 10-year program. And, you, you know, if you have this desire to, to train a dog, like, there's opportunities there. And um, I, think I just love that. I think it's really uh, – it makes the job – stay fresh and it's exciting and yeah and it, it you get to see another side of the job mm-hmm. you know i i probably never would have seen the the fema deployment side of it i haven't been deployed yet but there's a lot of logistics that go into that stuff that you, i i never would have seen or understood yeah. or anything if i hadn't been a part of this and yeah. that that helps when you're in the field you know it all kind of comes together it all kind of interweaves and makes you a better firefighter captain engineer what whatever title you have it makes you better you know so i'm certainly glad that i got into that it's definitely busy and you know has has its ups and downs but it's it's definitely one of the cooler parts and now when i go to the station when i pull in because i'm a rover first thing guys ask they don't they don't even ask me how no one wants to see you like hey did you bring talent today (laughs) (laughs) so which is good. He's made a name for himself. Oh, that's so funny. So, okay, I'm going to tell a story. I used to be at Station 39, and there was a uh, a dude there who was a dog handler, mm-hmm. and uh, whose name and his dog's name was Desoto. And Desoto, we shared. Uh, me and this other firefighter shared a bunk on opposite shifts. So. One morning, I'm, I get a workout in the morning, and I jump in the shower. I can't remember where I had to go, but I go take a shower, and I come into my into my bunk area, and I'm standing at my locker, and it's right around shift change, and I'm standing there, do do do, do mind my own dang business, and all of a sudden, I feel something cold <laughs> right in my butt cheeks, <laughs> and I nearly and nearly jump through the ceiling, and I turn around, and there's Desoto wagging his tail, looking at me, it stuck his nose up my butt. And I'm like, holy crap. Well, Adam would uh, kennel DeSoto under our bed. <laughs> and so I had no idea he was there. Anyway, quite the shock. That's I'm sure DeSoto got us, you know, had some fun. Yeah. But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, having a dog visit the station is amazing. And, man, I, I got to say, over the years I've watched you guys handle these dogs and watched them on the pile. And it is nothing short of magnificent and impressive. It's really cool what you guys are capable of of doing. And I don't think people appreciate the amount of work that really goes into it. I, I for one, I can say I, I did not appreciate it. And I pre- and I'm glad you were able to share with us how much time you put in because it really does, um, uh, help understand how you arrive at such a well disciplined dog, right? Such a, such a, a dog capable of accomplishing so much in pretty austere environments at times, you know, and, um, there's a great picture of John Dean, you know, sitting with his dogs, all they're all covered in mud and, you know, doing some like legit work on a mudslide up in Washington. Yep. And, you know, like there's, there's tremendous work that these dogs get to do and are capable of doing. And, you know, like you said, you show up to the station, no one wants to see you. They want to see the dog. They, and that's all they want is they, you know, and they want to play with them. They want, you know, they want me to get them. Hey, get them out of his kennel. Let them just run around the station. I'm like, ah, <laughs> you guys are just going to feed them, feed them Cheetos. And right. stuff, you know, you're going to ruin them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you don't bring anyone to say you'll ruin them. You can't bring anyone to the station, especially your dog, especially a working dog. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and you know, something the other, a lot of people don't understand too about the, the, especially our dogs in, in Phoenix is, um, they're not actually owned by the Phoenix fire department. They're owned by our, we had to start a 501 C three. John started it. 
25, six years ago, something like that, to help support the dogs and funding the dogs and getting new dogs and, you know, vet bills and toys and vests and leashes and all these things to, you know, help fund those dogs and the handlers themselves, you know, um, because, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's, it's an expensive, I don't want to say hobby, but it's an expensive job. Endeavor, to have. Yeah. You know, uh, you think, you know, I, our dogs are home dogs. They go to the vet once a year for their checkups. Talon, he goes to the vet every couple of months, you know, he just, it's, it's just different, you yeah. know? So, so John started that, that nonprofit. What's it called? It's called Arizona search dogs. And we have a, you know, we have a face, Facebook page. We have Instagram. We have, you know, all those things. And we're actually, we're getting ready to do a fundraiser with uh, Dixon flannel. Uh, they donated a hundred work shirts to us. And so between them and reef builders, uh, we're going to collaborate and make these shirts and then sell them, and then all the proceeds are going to go to buy another dog. Uh, we're going to get another. I believe we're right now. We're on track to look at getting a human remains dog, so we have two of them. Because uh, right now we only have the the one John's John's newest dog, um, but we we definitely need another one the, to come through. So because they're the human remains dogs are getting a ton of work right now uh, through working with certain police agencies, local FBI, that sort of thing, and. Uh, a couple of our our newest HR dog, actually, he's had a couple of fines uh, that have closed some cases, some bigger cases uh, for for these police agencies. So oh, that's it's awesome. you know, and it the HR side's a little different because you know you're not you're not finding live people. There's no chance of finding live people, you know. But as morbid as that can seem to people. The, the optimistic side is you're creating that closure for the yeah. family or, you know, whoever is missing that person that they know is expired, you know, but they would certainly like to have them back in, yeah. you know, any kind of physical form. Yeah, so, absolutely. You know, so it's, it's definitely a unique situation. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of the dark sides of our job. And, and I think that it's, but it's important to acknowledge that it's, it's a thing. Yeah. Right. And there are, you know, there's dogs and trainers who are, who take on that, that morbid and difficult duty, mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. but do it, you know? So, um, so if somebody wants to support the Arizona search dogs, I guess they can just go to the Instagram or the Facebook page. Yeah. So we have, it's on Instagram, it's Arizona search dogs, all one word, uh, Facebook, they can find us. Same thing. Arizona spelled out, uh, search dogs. Uh, we have a website, Arizona search dogs.com. Uh, they can go on there. They can, you know, they can donate uh, to the 501c3. Uh, they can, you know, part participate in this uh, fundraiser we're going to be launching on September 11th because that's so the other kind of cool thing about our dogs that we get from PennVet is the dogs that we get there are named after dogs that were at 9-11 or firemen that were killed on 9-11. So like Talon, he's named after a fireman, Sean Patrick Talon, who was a booter on Ladder 10, which is right across the street from the World Trade Centers and who who died on nine yeah. 11. So they, they kind of, you know, carry that with them, which is a, it's kind of a neat thing to have, you know, yeah. um, it's a neat living little living memorial. Yeah. And so on September 11th, we're going to do a news story with the dogs to kind of show the dogs off and, you know, explain how they got their names and, and whatnot. And so, but that's when we're going to release the, the fundraiser for these shirts uh, to hopefully get some more money so that we can, 
you know, get another dog because they're nice. they are not cheap. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you meant you mentioned uh, you dropped a name that was familiar to me. You mentioned Reef Builders, which is one of our guys, uh, Brandon Mion, who also has a podcast. I'll give him some, give him a little props here. Is uh, Make the Difference podcast, yep. which is really great. And um, so that's great that they're supporting that. And what was the name of that other company? Dixon that, Dixon Flannel. Dixon Flannel. Yeah, yeah. they're a huge huge clothing company that are, that's local. And you know, Brandon Brandon's been amazing with hooking us up with you know these different companies that are that are willing to help the dogs because uh, you know i'm certainly not a businessman i have no business contacts whatsoever uh, so being able to have have that uh, yeah it's great when folks in the community are willing to step up and, and share their their capacity and share their you know their resources in a meaningful way so uh, that's great man and and um so i think yeah, I, would, I would implore anybody listening to this to you know find a way to help support the the dogs they're super cute and uh and they do amazing work so they're it's a worthy place to uh throw a few bucks um and uh in support of uh the arizona search dogs uh hey so in closing let me ask you a couple of uh rapid fire questions all right all right i'll try to make it easy on you uh favorite jujitsu submission Loop choke. Mm, you did not hesitate for a second, <laughs> yeah. which is why you could probably get a loop choke on me. Uh, <laughs> awesome. Okay. Um, your favorite part about being a Phoenix firefighter? I like the purpose that it gives you. The being able to help people and not just, you know, we always think of the help like you've saved someone's life. Right. But it's, it's more than that. You know, like the other, we had a call the other day where, uh, this guy, he was, he, he's a known alcoholic. He's young. He's like my age is, you know, under 40. He's got a wife and a kid and they're, they're fighting back and forth. She wants him to go to rehab. She called us for a medical issue with him, but you know, we sat there for almost two hours and finally convinced this guy to go to rehab. Like he, he went up and got, you know, and that's, that's not typically what we do. That's the stuff that people don't know that we do. Um, but hopefully, you know, that made an impact in that family's life. Did we save his life with CPR or cut him out of a car? No, but we got him help that he needed right now that hopefully will later translate into not being involved with the alcohol and those sorts of things, you know, cause he had a, a three-year-old son who was sitting there and at three, there's, they're capable of understanding like what's going on. I mean, he wanted to go see the fire truck and do, you know, all this stuff. And he's not under, he didn't understand why dad was not acting right, you know, but through, through all that stuff, you know, we were able to, to get him some help. So doing that sort of help, you know, on top of the, the big stuff that you see that people know that we do is, is being a part of that, you know, that, that kind of purpose. So. I love it. Right on, brother. Well, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts, your feelings, your ideas, and, uh, and being on the podcast. Thank you. Appreciate it. Right on, brother. Hey, that's all we got for today. Thanks for tuning in. As always, if you are enjoying this podcast, get on over to uh, whatever platform you enjoy the most and uh, subscribe. These episodes will drop in the middle of the night. Additionally, if you can get over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast. Uh, I take your feedback seriously, and it does nothing but help us make this presentation better. 
If you have any specific commentary that you'd like to offer, feel free to reach out to myself at Gray at firegroundfitness.com. Anyways, that's all I got for today. Remember, take deep evaluation of what you're doing with your life and focus and refocus and go on out there and get some. Later.